Well, hello again. This is Yaakov Wolby from the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. And this is the Parsha podcast for Parshas Nusso. Now, there's a little bit of an unusual quirk in the calendar, and that is that our brethren in the land of Israel, in the Holy Land, are actually a week ahead of us. They are up to Parshas Baha'aloscha, which we will, please God, read next week. For us, we are on Parshas Nusso. And the reason for this discrepancy is that this past week, we had Shavuos, and in the diaspora, we celebrate the Shavuos for two days, and that was Friday and Shabbos, and thus Shabbos was Shavuos, and we did not read the ordinary Parsha cycle, whereas our brethren in the Holy Land, they only have one day of the festival, and thus only Friday was Shavuos, and Shabbos was an ordinary Shabbos, and they read Parshas Nasso, and they are a week ahead of us, and it's going to take a couple of weeks for us to re-synchronize, but we are going to follow the schedule in the diaspora. Now, Parshas Nasso has more verses than any other Parsha in the Torah, and it begins with continuing what we had in Parshas Bamidbar, the assigning of the roles of the Levites, the various families of Levites, and what they must transport. And then we have the expelling of impure people from the camp. We have very quickly the law of the theft of a convert. A convert, of course, who converts. They adopt a new identity. They are like a new baby, the Talmud tells us. And thus, they have no relatives. And thus, if they die without relatives, who do you repay? If God forbid someone steals from a convert, you repay the Kohen. We have the law of the Sota, the suspected adulteress, and the process by which this uncertainty is resolved. Then we have the Nazir. The Nazir is the individual who accepts the vow to become a Nazir, to refrain from drinking wine and other grape products, not to cut their hair, and not to be around dead people for typically 30 days. And then we have the priestly blessings, these are the special blessings that the priests bless the nation with. And then we go back to the subject of the inauguration of the tabernacle and the two sets of gifts that the princes of every tribe offer. It starts off with the oxen and the wagons to aid the Levites in the lugging of the tabernacle. And then we have 12 elaborate tributes, one for each prince of each tribe on the 12 days following the inauguration. And then we have in our parasha 12 times the exact same tribute. And it's repeated individually for each one of the princes. And of course, we've spoken about that in the past. Today, I want to focus on the Nazir. The Nazir is someone who accepts a vow, an oath, voluntary oath, to become a Nazir. What does that mean? It means not to drink wine not to eat grapes or any grape products or derivatives, to let their hair grow out, and to not come into contact with the dead, to be like a Kohen Gadol high priest. And they do this for a certain period, and our parsha tells us what are the requirements of the period of the Nazir, what happens if there was a disruption, an interruption in the period of the Nazir. They have to go back to the beginning if they come into contact with the dead in an unexpected fashion? And what is the process by which they resolve, they conclude their Nazir period 
what is the process that they must do, the various sacrifices they bring, and the various procedures and protocols that they follow until they remove their status as a Nazir and they can once again drink wine. Now, there's a very memorable Rashi. We've spoken about this many times in the past. Rashi notes on the Talmud notes, of course, as well, that the two laws, the law of the Sota, of the suspected adulteress, a woman who secluded with a man, a married woman that is, who secluded with a man regarding whom the husband of said woman warned her against seclusion. He was a little bit jealous. He was concerned that some nefarious, promiscuous, illicit behavior was perhaps happening. And there's the whole process of the Sota where the Almighty, in a miraculous fashion, determines what actually happened behind closed doors. Now, that subject, that section is juxtaposed to the section of the Nazir. And Rashi tells us, why are these two seemingly completely unrelated subjects, why are they placed next to each other in the Torah? To teach you that if you see a sota, you see a woman who is suspected of infidelity, and you see her in her disgrace, then you should make yourself a nazir and abstain from wine. Because wine leads to levity, leads perhaps to promiscuity. A nazir typically becomes a nazir for 30 days, if unspecified. It could be longer, it could even be a whole lifetime. And the Torah details the required behavior during his period of being a nazir. He achieves a grand lofty status. And then we read about what happens if the period gets interrupted. He has an unexpected encounter with the dead. He has to undergo various specific procedures and then restart from scratch. And then what happens when he successfully completes his Nazir period? He has to undergo a whole process to end the Nazirhood. And he gets reintroduced to ordinary life, hopefully maintaining some of what he earned and how thenceforth he can resume drinking wine. Now today, it is very inadvisable to accept such a vow to become a Nazir. And the reason is, if a person says, behold, I am accepting the vow of a Nazir, they become a Nazir. And all the laws governing the Nazir apply to them. But because we have no way to resolve the Nazir period, there's no temple and sacrifices, a person can become a Nazir, but until the temple is rebuilt, please God, there is no way to end the Nazir period and they must remain so until the temple is rebuilt and they can do the process outlined in our parsha to end a Nazir period. Now, when we study this section of the Nazir deeply, I think we discover some amazing insights. I want to go through it thoroughly today and suggest a comprehensive approach, and I think one that can be very impactful to our lives. That's what we try to do here on the Parsha Podcast. This is the Parsha Podcast. This is not some ordinary podcast. This is one where we try to study the weekly Parsha and find relevant, powerful lessons that can upgrade our lives. And Parsha's Nasso is no exception. So the section of the Nazir starts with a very interesting phrase. This is chapter 6, verse 2. Speak, 
to the sons of Israel and tell them, a man or a woman, Ki Yafli, who is Yafli? We'll see what that means in a second. To make a vow, an oath of a Nazir, Lahazir, to be a Nazir for God. It starts off by someone who accepts the oath of a Nazir. But the word Yafli, it's a homonym. It's a word of divergent meaning. And the commentaries offer varied explanations as to what exactly this means. So Rashi says the word Yafli, it means that the acceptance of the vow of a Nazir has to be clear. It has to be expressed unambiguously. Okay, that's one definition of the word Yafli. The Sephardo, he says that the, the word Yafli means to separate oneself, to abstain. All the people are engaging in the world with the intent of trying to elicit as much pleasure. And this person is saying, I want to abstain. I want to opt out of the pursuit of physical pleasure. And the word Yafli is to indicate that's what the Nazar is doing. Now, the Ibn Ezra, he has a very famous idea. He says the word Yafli is from the word Pella, which means something wondrous. And he interprets the verse as saying that someone who does something so wondrous, because the whole world is going in a different way. Everyone is zigging and they are zagging. The whole world is following their temptations, their desires, their lusts. The word Pella means a wonder. And it's so shocking. It's such a surprising thing to see someone go on a different path and abstain from physical pleasures. That's a third interpretation as to the word Yafli. And I found the fourth one from the Hamadavar. He says the word Yafli, it indicates that this is something that happens or that should happen under extraordinary circumstances. There has to be something which is completely unusual that could warrant such a decision, either because of the time or for some other reason, the person feels like he has to do something very radical, very bold and different, and that's why they accept the vow of Anazir. So what happens? The person accepts the vow, and they are now Anazir. And the Torah outlines the behavior of the Nazir for the duration of the Nazir period. And again, if it's unspecified, it's 30 days, it's a month. But if the person says, I'm a Nazir for six months or 18 months or six years for that matter, that is the duration that they must remain under the standing of a Nazir. And they cannot drink any wine or anything that is a grape derivative. And they cannot cut their hair. They have to let their hair grow wild. And they cannot come into contact with the dead. And we know we've seen this already in the past, that the Kohanim, the priests, they are restricted from going to funerals or really being in the same environment as the dead. But there are differences. The ordinary priest, there are seven exceptions. Father, mother, sister, brother, son, daughter, and wife. These are the six exceptions that the person can, the, the ordinary Kohen can become impure. The Nazir, he temporarily gets the status of the high priest, and there is no one, no relative, even very close relatives, regarding whom 
they can participate in their funeral. Now you'll notice in verses 3 through 8 of chapter 6, again and again it reinforces the idea that the the Nazir is holy to God. So verse 5 and verse 6 and verse 8, it emphasizes this point that the Nazir is a Nazir for God. He achieves this very lofty stature of holiness, of distinction. If you think about it, you know, everyone's going around their lives. Everyone's behaving as humans behave. You know, we do some good things, some bad things, some mitzvahs, some sins. And hopefully people are generally trending towards good. Hopefully they have some sense of what really matters. Hopefully they have some sense of the soul, of the eternal world, of the invisible God. Hopefully people do lead a life of purpose. But people are just living. And in our world, we see a Nazir, someone who departs the path of the masses. And someone who says, I want to be holy for God. This is someone who, like we said, it's wondrous. He is living on a completely different plane than his fellow earth inhabitants. He is holy, designated for the Almighty. And again, the commentaries note, and we spoke about this last year at great length, that the Nazir is like a high priest for the duration of his Nazirhood. He has the same restrictions against coming into contact with the dead, as a high priest does. And the word, the word Nazir, we're told that the etymology of the word is Nazir, which means a crown. The crown of the Nazir is one which is similar to like a king or a high priest. There's something royal and resplendent about this person. We mentioned last year that the Nazir has such holiness, it's just exuding from him, that he is punished if someone dies around them, meaning if you're just a Nazir and someone has a heart attack on the bus, how could you be punished for that? It's not your action. Why must you bring a sin sacrifice for becoming impure? So we spoke about this last year, that the, the, the Nazir has such holiness, like the high priest, that they are capable and they are expected to exude holiness, to have holiness permeate their whole surroundings. And if something unexpected disrupts their holiness, that is something that they really are guilty for. That's the awesome, amazing level of holiness that the Nazar reaches. They're holy to God. They're like a high priest. They are elevated above their peers. They are sanctified. The verse tells us, the Ramban brings this, that the Nazir will reach prophecy. They are separating themselves from the masses. They are designating themselves for God. They are doing something wondrous. It's such an unusual sight. Someone who grabs life by the horns and says, I am going to live life with serious dedication to the Almighty. I'm going to go against the grain, swimming upstream, not going with the flow. I'm going to sanctify myself to become holy for God. Next, we read how he has to behave if he 
unexpectedly becomes impure over the course of his days of being a Nazir. He has to go back to square one. And from verse 13 to the end of the section, we read about what happens when he successfully completes his Nazir period. He brings several sacrifices. He shaves off his hair and he burns that with the sacrifices. And the final two verses of the section read, the Kohen processes the sacrifices and afterwards the Nazir can drink wine. This is the Torah, the law of the Nazir, who brings the sacrifice for his Nazir period, etc., etc. So there's a few interesting points here to get a little bit deeper into the subject. One of the sacrifices that a Nazir brings at the end of the period of the Nazir, when they're wrapping things up, they go into the temple, they finish their 30 days or their six months or whatever it was, and they've been pure the whole time. Again, if they become impure, even if it's not due to any malice, they have to go back to square one, start off with zero days. They're done. They've done a good job. They've been designated for God. Now they have to go to the temple and do the various specific procedures to become an ordinary layperson. And they bring a variety of sacrifices, and one of them is a sin sacrifice. And everyone's trying to figure out what sin the Nazir committed. Now, the Talmud says, and this is a little bit of a confusing point, the Talmud says that the sin that he committed was the pain of abstaining from wine. The Nazir engaged in unrequired abstinence. You know, God created wine and he created it for us to enjoy. And it's a sin to abstain. And you know what? Maybe it was appropriate given the extraordinary circumstances, but it's a sin nonetheless. That's what the Talmud says. Now, the Ramban doesn't like this. And this is where the little bit of the inside baseball comes. Because when the when the Torah talks about the Nazir who unexpectedly became impure, then it talks about the sin sacrifice they have to bring. And regarding that sin sacrifice, the Talmud says that the sin is that they pained themselves from wine. The Ramban seems to understand that the Talmud is only talking about, when it talks about the sin sacrifice, and the reason why you have to have a sin sacrifice, it's because you pained yourself from wine. The Ramban seems to understand that that is only for the sin sacrifice that the Nazir brings if their Nazir period becomes interrupted. But what about if they if they haven't interrupted their Nazir period? They were perfect. They still have to bring a sin sacrifice. Why, asks the Ramban, why, if someone completes their Nazir period and they had no blunders and there were no interruptions and nothing unexpected happened, they did the 30 days or the six months, whatever it was, they did it and they did it perfectly. Why must they bring a sin sacrifice? So the Ramban gives a new answer. The sin is the fact that they are ending their Nazir period. This person, he became a Nazir. He achieved the crown of a Nazir. And he was holy and he was elevated. And he had dedicated himself to God. 
And it's fitting, it's appropriate for that to endure forever. You reached the pinnacle, and now you're going to go off the pinnacle? That's inappropriate. And again, he quotes the verse that equates the Nazir to a prophet. And now he's returning to civilian life. That is a downgrade that needs some atonement. You know, the Nazir is a temporary designation. He temporarily becomes holy for God. Someone who gets a taste of that spiritual sublimity and they go back to ordinary life, that tremendous downgrade, that demands an atonement. That's how the Ramban explains the sin sacrifice that a Nazar brings at the conclusion, the successful conclusion of their Nazar period. But this, of course, raises an interesting question. The period of the Nazir, it sounds like it's an ideal state, like a prophet, like a high priest, so elevated, designated for God. It's so rare, it's so wondrous. But still, it's designed to be temporary. Now, it is true that there is a permanent designation like like Samson, but the typical Nazir, it's a temporary standing And in fact, the verse tells us at the very end of the section that afterwards the Nazar goes and drinks wine. So it kind of raises a fundamental question on the whole subject of the Nazir. We saw that the reason why the Nazir is next to the Sota is because the Nazir, why would someone accept the vow of a Nazir? Because you realize how dangerous wine is. It could lead to levity and a degree of recklessness and permissiveness and it can lead to promiscuity. It's dangerous. So the person accepts the vow of the Nazir and then they just go back and they start drinking wine again. What have you solved? You're taking a temporary break from wine and all that it can potentially lead you to and then you go right back the whole reason why you become a Nazir in the first place is because of the potentially catastrophically harmful places that wine can bring you to. Wine's dangerous. Look at this sota. And you made the heroic, the, the rare and wondrous decision to abstain from it, to become holy for God. Why is this designed to be temporary? Why must this end? And why does the that the Torah emphasized, now the Nazir goes back to drinking wine. So I want to suggest an approach, and this is based upon some of the great commentators on this subject. But we're going to give it our own little flavor, as we like to do here on the Parsha Podcast. And I'm going to start by saying something controversial, maybe a little dangerous. So we have to give all of the required disclaimers. It's not medical advice and all real problems should be directed to the professionals. And I wasn't trained as a therapist in rabbi school. So with those caveats and disclaimers done, here's the controversial statement. The Torah does not agree with AA, with Alcoholics Anonymous. AA 
It teaches that if you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. Once an addict, always an addict. And if you just have one sip, you just have one moment of weakness, you're powerless to stop the total spiraling out of control to end up the way you were. The dangerous and controversial statement is that the Torah does not believe that. There is a process through which an addict can become a non-addict. There is a process through which addiction can be solved. And that process is outlined in the section of the Nazir. The Nazir is addiction amelioration. That's what the Torah is describing here. A process to fix addiction. Now, I want to make some caveats to this point, or some limitations to this point. The Talmud talks about how the great sages did not like when the masses became Nazirs, Nazirim. In fact, there's the iconic teaching in the Talmud that studious readers of my book will remember. It talks about the great high priest, Shimon HaTzadik, Shimon the Righteous. He did not like when people became a Nazir. And therefore, when someone came to the temple as a Nazir, he didn't partake in the sacrifices. And there was only one exception. There was one time that there was one man who came from the south, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was very handsome, and his locks of hair were very beautiful. And I said to him, why are you coming to the temple as another to destroy this lustrous hair? And he responded, well, I was a shepherd for my father in the city, and I was out with the flock, and I was bringing them to get some water from the well, And I saw my reflection in the water. And I saw how handsome I was. And my Yetzirah, my evil inclination, was aroused. And it wanted to destroy my life. And I said to it, wicked one, why are you taking pride in the world that's not yours, in a body that, in the future, will become fodder? for worms and maggots. I promise I will shave you for the sake of heaven. And how do you shave your hair? Well, if you accept a vow to become a Nazir, that guarantees that your hair will be shaven because at the end of the Nazir period, you shave your hair. That is the rationale of this Nazir from the South that he told the great high priest Shimon HaTzadik. Right away, I stood up, continues Shimon the Righteous, and I sh- and I kissed him on his head, and I said, wow, if only all the Nazirs were like you, ordinary people, I don't agree with their decision to become a Nazir, but like you, there should be many Nazirs amongst Israel. So we see 
that Shimon HaTzadik did not approve of most people becoming a Nazir. Even though it's a process of addiction amelioration, he didn't agree with it. And this young Nazir from the South, he's the exception. So there is a process to solve addiction, but it's very delicate and maybe even dangerous, and not everyone can pull it off. But this is the subject. Now you'll notice, after the Nazir is done, they've brought all the sacrifices, they've done everything they need to do in the temple, they're still called a Nazir. That stays. Something remains, even after the process is over. And he drinks wine! But wait a minute, wine's so harmful, so dangerous. No. After the addiction is solved, it's no longer harmful. He is no longer an addict. There is no longer the catastrophic risk that prompted him to become a Nazi in the first place. That's how powerful this Nazir process is. But how does it work? What in fact, is this process? I think in our study of this subject, we will discover the mechanics of addiction and how the process of the Nazir is designed to counter it. And then we will understand how, through the process of the Nazir, the addiction can be solved and he can go back to drinking wine without the risk. And we'll start with a very sharp piece, courtesy of Meshech Chachma. After the Nazir is done, they've done their 30 days or six months or whatever it is, and it's time for them to go to the temple. Verse 13, so this is 613, easy to remember. The verse says, this is the Torah, the law of the Nazir, on the day that they finish their period of the Nazir. Yavi Oso, he shall bring him to the tabernacle, to the temple. So Rashi says something very interesting. What does Yavi Oso mean? He should bring him. Who should bring who? He should bring himself. Who brings the Nazir? to the temple, to the tabernacle, he brings himself. It's a very unusual use of words. When you go somewhere, we don't typically say that you bring yourself. You just go. So the Torah could have said simply, when he finishes his period of being a Nazir, he comes to the temple. You could say he was brought by others, but that's not what it says. He is brought by himself. What does that even mean? Says the Meshachachma, listen to this. The process of the Nazir is a process of getting outside of yourself. Addiction is when your desires become intermingled with you. You become one with your desires. So all those whims, all those weaknesses, all your temptations, the various wine and derivatives of wine in your life, 
They become inseparable from the person. And that's the dependency. That's the addiction. The process of the Nazir is designed to make a person be able to bring themselves, to become like a third party regarding oneself, to become objective, to separate yourself from your desires so that they are no longer commingled with you. And you become like the master of yourself. And you can kind of bring yourself, your choices, your decisions, your actions, your behavior are governed by you. You don't just behave on a whim. You're not acting impulsively. You're making a choice. Okay, I'm going to go. Not I'm going to go. I'm going to take myself and go. You've created separation between you and your impulses and your instincts and your desires and your weaknesses and all the other things in life that used to dominate you. And thenceforth, you could treat yourself almost like an outsider. You're objective to yourself. And when that point is reached, when those desires are no longer operating from within, so to speak, when you have been separated from those desires, then your job as a Nazir is done. And now you can drink wine. You're no longer an addict. When you come to the temple at the end of the Nazir period, you're bringing yourself that same person that caused you to undertake this Nazirhood to begin with is now external to you. And you could lead him, so to speak. Now, you're no longer an addict. Now, with this principle, Meshachachma answers another question about the Nazir. You know, it's kind of odd that the length of time needed to be a Nazir is not predetermined. Why not have a prescribed length? So he explains, if the objective of the Nazir is to overcome addiction and pettiness, to overcome the Yitzharat, to become holy for God, of course, the canonical example is the episode of the Nazir from the South. Well, how long must this period last for? It's highly variable. Everyone has various degrees of addiction. Everyone has various degrees of entanglement with their desires. For some people, they'll need just a month. Some may need much longer. And therefore, there is no prescribed length. And how do you know that you're done? What's the right amount of time? You have to calculate how long will it take for me to remove myself entirely from those desires and to disentangle myself from them, to become no longer a pawn of the Yitzhara, to no longer be at the whims of my desires, to no longer be beshackled to those desires, to regain control, well, you have to make that decision to know how long you have to be a Nazir for. That's the end state of the Nazir. The end state is that you have retaken control and you're calling the shots. You don't do anything just because that's what you do, but without thinking, everything is calculated. Even when you go someplace, it's you're taking yourself, you're bringing yourself. It's a decision made from the governing element of your life. 
We call that the soul, of course. The soul now is in charge. The body is the horse to the soul's rider. And the end state, it's not one of total abstinence. He ends off with a nice idea. God wants us to enjoy. He created the wine for our benefit. But we have to enjoy it in a way that it doesn't engulf us. It doesn't overtake us. And therefore, for a temporary period, we completely cease to engage in this behavior. And through this time of abstinence, we're slowly uncoiling that firm vise that the addition had over us, and we are restoring ourselves to be the master of our destiny. What an incredible idea. The objective of the Nazir period is for the Nazir to separate himself from his desires. When someone is ensnared in addiction, it can be catastrophically dangerous. And when it's appropriate to do so, when they feel that the entanglement is just going too far, it's getting too tight, they begin this process of separation. It is interesting, in that iconic Rashi, at the beginning of the section of the Nazir, if you read it critically, you'll notice that there's an extra word. Whoever sees a sota in her disgrace shall make themselves into a Nazir. There's an extra word in, in Hebrew. It doesn't say, Yazir minhayain, become a Nazir from wine. Yazir atzmo, make himself a Nazir from wine. This is what the Nazir is doing. Removing themselves from the desire. Disentangling themselves from wine. If someone just happens to drink wine, it's not yourself, it's not a problem. It's only when the desires are now so enmeshed in a person's self that they are addicted, only then must they make themselves into a Nazir. Similarly, with the Nazir from the South, he justifies his behavior to become, or his choice to become a Nazir by saying, this is not your world. There was this unholy mix of a person and their earthly, petty desires And he has to separate that. I want to suggest another wrinkle here. The section starts off with the word yafli, the verb used to describe the acceptance of the Nazir vow. So we talked about the four different definitions of the word, either to enunciate clearly, to separate, to do something wondrous, or only under extraordinary circumstances should this be done. Maybe there is another definition. And if you look at the Ardidalyo, he almost says it, not quite. The blessings that we say after using the restroom, Rofei Cholbasar Umaflil Asos. God is the healer of all flesh. And Mafli, like the word Yafli, he does Mafli, he acts wondrously. What's so wondrous 
about our body, about God healing our flesh. So the Ramah, of course, the co-author of the Shulchan Aruch, he says something very interesting. He says the, the, the wonder that's being mentioned over here in this blessing is the fact that God wondrously unites body and soul within a person. Something completely spiritual and something completely mundane and base like the body are somehow united together. That is wonderful. It's wondrous. The word mafli hints at the wondrous mix of total opposites, the body and the soul that are united in man. Perhaps this is another interpretation of the word yafli of the decision to become a nazir. When a person becomes aware of the harmful entanglement of body and soul, when all those petty desires of the body begin to encroach on the soul, on who a person really is, the desires are running amok, the inmates are running the asylum, the horse is not obeying the will of the rider. That is a real danger. And under those circumstances, it is appropriate for him to become an azir and to thereby unravel this mixture. And the objective of that is to reach the point where he can bring himself, meaning that he becomes impartial to his desires. They are no longer a core dependency of his. And now he can drink wine without the danger. This is the Nazir. He is abstaining from a dependency for 30 days or maybe more. And he's not just doing just that. It's not just a negative. He is also doing other things that symbolize his new state, his elevation above his previous pettiness. He's reinforcing that soul. He's not just creating a vacuum. He's feeling that vacuum to be holy for God. And when he's done, when he becomes the master over himself, when the tail is no longer wagging the dog, when the horse is now obeying the rider, then he can bring himself to the temple and end his Nazir period, and he can resume drinking wine. Again, this is something that God created. And he did it for our enjoyment. It's only dangerous when the wine takes over. He didn't go to AA. He went to NA, to Nazir's Anonymous. And he found a way, the Torah provides a way, to defeat the addiction. And now he can resume drinking wine as a non-addict. This person is a hero. He's a champ. If someone who begins such a process is wondrous, how incredibly impressive is it to actually complete it? He overcame this addiction. And he is now endowed with great power. There are some great benefits of being a Nazir. This is a little bit of a subtle idea. But someone who succeeds in doing what the Nazir did 
they are capable of miracles. There's a principle that a miracle hinges on a vessel for that miracle. Call it a miracle worker. When we had the Exodus, there were many miracles that happened, but there was also a miracle worker, Moshe, at the helm of that Exodus. And we find something that's almost essential to who Moshe was. When the verse tells us, when Moshe goes down to Egypt, the miracle worker is coming to do the miracles. The verse stresses in Parshas Shmos that he was riding a donkey. And Rashi says, well, that donkey that he was riding, it's the same donkey that Abraham rode on the way to the binding of Isaac. And on this same donkey, the Messiah will ride. And of course, we've spoken about this in the past. This is not just talking about the means of transportation of these great exemplars. This is describing the status of Abraham, of Moshe, and of Messiah. The three people that symbolize the three epochs of history. Abraham brought God to the world, and he's the founder of the nation. Moshe, he's the conduit of Torah, and Messiah is the one who finishes the job and makes the knowledge of God universal in the world. These three people, the the way they're able to do these miracles is because they are riding the donkey. The donkey symbolizes physicality, the body, and they are like the rider. They are completely in charge of navigating the body. Typically, people are commingled, are inseparably enmeshed with the donkey. The Nazir becomes like Abraham, Moshe, and Messiah. They lead themselves. They are riding the donkey. They're completely in charge of their lives. And just as Abraham, Moshe, and Messiah became capable of doing miracles, a Nazir who goes through this process is also capable of miracles. Similarly, Joseph, and again, we spoke about this in the past, the sea saw Joseph, the bones of Joseph, and that's why it split. Why did the sea split, the Midrash tells us? Because Joseph, he overcame his temptations with Mrs. Potiphar. And as a result of that, the sea fled when it saw his bones. Again, a miracle has to have a miracle worker. And the reason for this is that when someone overcomes their nature, when someone overcomes their temptation, when someone becomes a ruler, a master over their donkey, they are given the power to overcome and override nature. By definition, a miracle is something which is nature-suspending. Only someone who has a donkey riding upon them, only someone who is subject to nature, 
is incapable of doing nature suspending miracles. We have a soul. The soul is much more powerful than angels. It's much more powerful than nature as well. The only reason why nature suspending miracles are not an everyday occurrence. Think about it. You know, the, the soul should be dominating the physical world. So why aren't miracles commonplace? The answer is because most people are not souls. Their souls are commingled with all their desires. Only a person who is riding the donkey, who has complete control over their physicality, their nature, only they can be a master over nature and do a miracle. Only once the person is riding the donkey and they are no longer commingled, intermingled, helplessly entangled with their physicality, only when the Nazir is leading himself to the temple, only when the person has dissociated themselves from what had previously maintained a fierce vise over them, only once they're independent, and the soul's free to operate, absent any elements dragging it down, only under those conditions can miracles happen. The Talmud tells us, the book of Kiddushan on page 40a, Listen to this. If someone overcomes a temptation of promiscuity, a miracle will happen to them. It wasn't always obvious to me what the connection is. What's the connection between overcoming a temptation for promiscuity? What's the connection between that and having a miracle done for them? Now we know the answer. If someone overcomes a temptation for promiscuity, that's a sign that they are in charge. They are riding the donkey. The temptation is not in charge. And therefore, this person is now a vessel for miracles. It's a pretty big deal to graduate from Nazir's Anonymous. There is a way to defeat addiction. There is a way for the Nazir to go and drink wine. You could still have exposure to that substance that was so damaging and catastrophically dangerous because now there's no dependency. That is the process of Nazir's Anonymous. It's addiction remediation. It's restoring control back to you. And I think that even though today we cannot become a Nazir, I think it's still very helpful to be aware of this concept. There is a way to remove dependency from an addiction. To become like an outsider to yourself. To become like an objective third party regarding yourself. You can acquire granite self-control. If you think about it, this is really what Musser is about. It's a study of self-control. And the Musser masters were, were unbelievably advanced in these matters. In every area of their lives, they were in charge. 
Their desires were never leading them. They used to say about the Muslim masters that they wouldn't, they would never eat. They would feed themselves, but they wouldn't eat. Of course, this is a very high level. And we're simpletons. But this is an incredible idea. Most of us, our desires are pushing us from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Someone who is riding the donkey, someone who is a master of self-control, everything they do is calculated, is, is mindful, is a decision they make. They bring themselves to a place. They, they, they don't just do. It's a choice, a decision from their governing elements to their body. And that's a life of, of no addiction, of no dependency, to be completely in charge of the reins of the donkey. And once you have reassumed control, if someone actually does this, they can partake in the substance, in the activity that was so bedeviling to them, that was so dangerous, Afterwards, the Nazar can drink wine because now there's no addiction. I think it's a very powerful idea here that we can maybe use in our life. And there's a lot of addiction in our lives. For some, it's wine. For others, it's carbs or sugar or devices or sports or politics or games or social media or Netflix to the degree that those things are in charge and we are just dependent upon it. We're like a slave to them. And that's not great. And that can lead to bad, bad places, bad things. And overcoming addiction, it's always a good idea. And to a certain extent, we can say that to the degree that we are dependent on anything aside from God, to that degree, we are not a servant of God. We are a servant of the foreign God. And now we learned that there's a way to defeat it. And again, maybe not everyone is a candidate for this. For most of us, maybe taking the approach of AA is better than taking the approach of NA, of Nazir's Anonymous. Maybe for most of us, NA is truly N.A. It's not applicable. And there are some risks. And Shimon Atarak knew what he was doing when he boycotted the Nazirs, in effect. There is a risk of someone stopping something, ending something, trying to go through the process of a Nazir, but creating that vacuum that instead of being filled with holiness for God with elevation, with this crown like a high priest, they get depressed and they feel deprived. And then once it's over or even beforehand, there's the boomerang effect. If you push the spring too hard, it's going to backfire. But there is a process to become holy to God. And through this process, someone can reclaim control. There's one thing that we all, all, I don't want to say all, but many of us are addicted to, and that's the devices. You know, what does it feel like 
when you leave your device at home. You feel kind of naked without it. There's a way to do it. Most of us are too chicken to try. But what would happen if you went a month without it? They have those old feature phones so people can still get get in touch with you. That might be a very bold, bold idea. A month without the phone, people will still be able to reach you. Uh, things will survive without without your participation. And then you could go back to it, but now you're not an addict. How's that for an idea? There's a process of disentangling the cords of addiction. And it's not easy. But there's something very liberating, very freeing about disencumbering oneself from desires and dependencies. It could be exhilarating, emboldening to wean yourself off of these dependencies. I have a very dear friend of mine who used to spend hours and hours and hours a day engaging in political activism, writing letters and doing petitions to really try to advance an agenda. And of course, politics is all futility. And now he's spending hours and hours a day studying the Almighty's Torah and advancing the most valuable thing, the most consequential thing, the agenda and the cause of God in this world. Nothing as exhilarating, as invigorating, as inspiring as someone who is able to change their priorities and to live a higher life. This is the Nazir. And again, it's not for everyone. I think it's not for everyone. Maybe it is. Maybe uh, not, maybe not everything about this is for everyone. But this is what's happening here. The Nazir is removing themselves from what they were addicted to and doing it in a way that they can change and they can remain a Nazir afterwards and drink wine without any of the harmful side effects that come along with it. Very powerful idea, very dangerous idea, as we acknowledged, but I think one that can very meaningfully improve our lives. We'd like to end off the partial podcast with a question. And the idea is that, you know, a question really gets the mind churning and thinking, and it raises our Parsha intelligence and also our general intelligence as well. And here's this week's question. The Sota, the suspected adulteress. We don't know what happened behind closed doors. God knows, of course. The human court does not know. How is this resolved? In a very unusual process. She comes to the temple. And there's uh, the whole process of intimidation. And then we take this section, we write it on a scroll, and you dissolve it in water and you mix it with some other things and she drinks this concoction. And if she was innocent, well, then she becomes even more fertile and, and more desirous. And if she is guilty, then that concoction will act like some sort of uh, explosive device and it will execute her. Very, very interesting subject, the Sota. 
Now, the Ramban points out that this is a departure from ordinary Torah law. Ordinary Torah law tells us that the courts have to adjudicate questions, and they do that with evidence. And a prophet cannot go to God to find out the law. There, there's, a, there's a process you have to follow. You got to look at the, the evidence and the witnesses and the testimony and evaluate. In this one law, we, we take the human court and we say we're not following the human court. There is this miraculous process that we use. And the question is why? Why specifically by the Sota do we discard the ordinary modus operandi of the court and we follow this unusual, miraculous process to determine what happened behind closed doors? Very interesting question. There are, of course, some very good answers, but we'll leave it with a question. It's a good thing to think about. Why is the Sota different? I appreciate your time and your attention. I'm speaking to you from the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. A few weeks ago, I told you this place was a mess. It's now sparkling clean. Come visit us. Our website is torchweb.org. And every one of the podcast notes, you can find links and all sorts of other cool stuff to my other shows and to our organization to find out what's happening over here. If you want to send me an email, my email address is rabbiwalby at gmail.com. You can find that as well in the description of the podcast. I thank you for listening. I appreciate it. You take care. Best regards. Have a fantastic, wonderful, uplifting Shabbos. And please, God, with the help of the Almighty, we will talk again next week.